Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit podcast, this edition Wealth 360, where we bring together the Enneagram, the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl and his meaning-centered living, and of course, applying it to our daily lives in the form of all things wealth, finance, money. And I'm here with my good friend, my partner in Wealth 360 and financial guru, Michael Feiner. What's happening, Michael? You know, it's great to be here and uh, very timely since the, the markets are, are fluctuating a lot. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's not even having you anymore. This is our uh, project together. We're doing this. This is happening. Well, you're, the, you're, the, you're the leader of this project. I'm, I'm on for the ride a little bit, but so I, I appreciate the, the thought. I'm glad to have you along for the ride. And anybody who's just t- tuning in, um, you know, the Defiant Spirit is my particular work around, like, as I mentioned, and by the way, I'm Baruch, also known as B. Halevi, and um, I am uh, the, the founder of Soul Centered, and my, my sort of signature work is around the Defiant Spirit, and that is this idea that um, Dr. Victor Frankel said, well, actually, even better than talking about it, let's um, look at it. For those of us, for those of you who are joining us on, you know, video, we have some slides for those who are just listening. It's fine. We'll walk you and talk you through it. But um, Dr. Victor Frankl's sort of thesis, Holocaust survivor, by the way, um, author of Man's Search for Meaning and 30 some odd other books, um, fo- founder of Logotherapy, Meaning Centered Living or Therapy. And, and it really revolves for me around Dr. Frankl's um, message of between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. So essentially, when things happen to us, right, do we react or do we respond? Do we go down this path of unconscious and fear, which is totally natural, right? Or do we defy our nature, rise above it supernatural and respond and choose our response? And that's really the work of life. That's the work of um, becoming conscious and really crafting the life that we desire. And nothing brings it up, as I've seen, more than money, more than finance, more than our our wealth, or sometimes lack thereof, and all the stuff that comes up. And then we react. Well, Michael teaches also now this work of the Defiant Spirit and how to stop reacting and start responding. And so that's our joint project in this Wealth360 venture. Um, and so today, what are we talking about, Michael? Well, we're talking about how people react and respond based on their particular Enneagram number, which is sort of the idea that depending on your traits and personality traits, I suppose that you have different reaction points. Yep. And, um, they're triggered, right? Those reaction points are triggered under stress, under under fear, 
we all go into it and we each have a kind of a default um, mechanism that keeps us surviving. It's a survival technique. And so we don't think about it. We just go into it. And if you, if you're just joining us for the first time, we, our previous podcast, we walked through all nine types and talked about, you know, the general kind of essence of each of the Enneagram numbers or types. And we all default to one. Although, you know, people say to me all the time, well, I feel like I'm a nine and a two. Well, you are, you're all of these things. It's just, the question is, how do you rank order them, not consciously, unconsciously, and do triage when you're on, in Michael's language, the battlefield, right? We start going through these as strategies to survive. And so we all have a default core type, but we have all of these numbers in us. And when the storms of life hit, we draw upon these things. And, and I, I don't say storms of life lightly because as we're recording this, we're still in the near aftermath of the uh, hurricanes down in in Florida. By the way, Michael, I know you have offices down in Florida. How is everything down there? You know, luckily and thankfully, things things worked out pretty well. No no flooding uh, at our location. So for us, things are good. But talking to some other people, you know, there's a lot of devastation. It's, I guess it's going to be the most devastating hurricane that Florida's ever encountered, which oh, is I don't want to say it's hard to believe because Hurricane Andrew was brutal and stuff like that, but it devastation on the West Coast from um, Marco Island up to Fort Myers is incredible. Your place, um, your office is in Naples? Is that Naples, correct? Naples. Luckily, it's kind of second floor, and while the water came, it, it receded and stuff like that. So we're, we're fortunate that way, but the, the human devastation is, is enormous, talking so to people who, who need things. So... We have a lot to be thankful for. So, you know, this podcast is for is for those folks surviving those storms and the aftermath, rebuilding their life. It's for, you know, you, if you're listening, if you're going through a personal storm, it doesn't have to be just finance. Um, although, you know, finance is tied to each one of these things, although that's not the most important thing. It's an important thing. And, you know, whether you're going through a divorce, whether you've lost a loved one, whether you're, uh, you know, just living life in this kind of semi-post-COVID time, we all face the storms. The question is, do we react or do we respond? Well, the Enneagram helps us see a roadmap of where we go, at least initially in reaction. And so if you're if you're watching this right now, um, you can see the slide. Oops, go back. You can see the slide and it says core fear. And if you're not watching and you're listening, just shoot me an email at um, Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H, at mysoulcenter.org or jump over to the website, defiantspirit.org, and you can shoot me an email and I'll send you the slide. But what it does is it lists the nine basic core fears. Again, all of them in us, but there's one primary fear that we go to when the storms of life descend upon us. And this is our um, immediate reaction. And as Michael and I teach, you don't have to live in reaction. You can choose your response. All right. So if you are, let's start with an Enneagram one, Michael. If you're an Enneagram one and the storms of life literally or figuratively descend upon you, right? The one, the perfectionist, the, I call it the reformer. Um, just give us a brief snapshot of what you imagine, because you know quite a few ones in your business, what the ones go through in their fear? Well, I think that the ones typically like structure. They're perfectionists. They like order. They like 
structure. They like routine. Um, so if the stock market, for example, is erratic and extremely volatile, that provides disorder to the universe. Mm -hmm. And that's uncomfortable, fearful. It can cause disruption in, in their lives. And you know better than I do or anybody um, that there really is no such thing as order with the stock market, right? I mean, isn't that like a kind of an oxymoron? It, there, it is in a sense, you know, the stock market in a way, I'm trying to think, you know, the stock market itself sometimes is a six, sometimes it's a one, sometimes it's an eight. Over really long periods of time, the stock market is very linear, right? The rates of return are consistent over extreme long periods of time. So in the short run, the stock market tends to be very volatile. Mm -hmm. You don't know if you're going to have a huge in a positive year, possibly a large negative year or something in between. So it is it is very schizophrenic in, in that sense. So you're right. Uh, it, it causes a lot of issues because it's unpredictable at best. So if you're an Enneagram one and you really gravitate towards structure, towards order, towards linear, I mean, I, I have a son who's an Enneagram one. I'll keep saying the names just in case anybody's joined us doesn't know what we're talking about. It's the, again, the reformer. Um, he craves structure and you can feel transitions are very hard for him. Once he gets into his rhythm, he's good again. But your your point is so well taken, right? That the, 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 the uh, stock market really does have an order or structure. And you you taught me this a few years ago when you sent, maybe it was around the beginning of COVID. You sent me a slide on the a graph of the um, stock market over the past hundred years or something like that. And if you zoom in, it's a bumpy ride, but if you zoom out, it's a really smooth ride. It's like a 45 degree angle up and just kind of this constant trajectory of growth. And the more you zoom in, the more you kind of start to panic and look at the highs and the lows, the more you zoom out, the more you can see the constancy or the order. And I guess that's probably a good strategy for somebody going an Enneagram one going through some storms. That's exactly right for an Enneagram one to understand that maybe looking at day to day fluctuations are not helpful because they cause enormous, probably magnified stress versus other Enneagram types. When in fact, over the long term, it's doing exactly what an, a, a one would want, which is that consistent upward momentum. But that's hard. Like you, I think you've given me the term focus in, focus out. If you focus out on the Google map, it looks very it, remarkably steady. Mm -hmm. If you focus in, it looks remarkably volatile. It's, it's mind boggling. And it probably... You know, 10 year time frames are remarkably steady. Five years are getting there, but any one to three year time frame can be the zoom in versus zoom out. So now that I know someone's an Enneagram one, what I try to do is explain like, let's look at that long term ride. So versus the, sh the short term ride. Unbelievable that you're bringing this into your um, into your work because, you know, per our last or one of our previous conversations, you know better than I that so much of your work revolves around the feelings, the experiences people are having around their money, not just the money. And so if you can talk to somebody's core fear, right, and help them address it with real strategies like this, 
Wow, what a what a gift. So zoom out all ones when you are going through financial or physical or you know relationship storms, zoom out. Look at the long game, the big picture, and not the moment to moment. And you'll see the structure, the order, the perfection that your your soul, your being craves. All right, Enneagram 2. Enneagram 2 is the helper, the supporter, the nurturer, called different things in different systems. But you know when you're with a 2. You frankly you know when you're with most types. A 2 is the quintessential mother or father figure. They just are relationship-oriented. So storms of life descend, financial, otherwise. What happens to the 2s in your practice or in your world, Michael? Well, I think a 2, unlike a 1 who craves structure tends to be nervous that they can't meet their obligations to their loved ones or that something may be at risk to help their child to college or their grandchild start a business or whatever it may be. So mm-hmm. it's it's a fear and they're just as stressed just in a completely different way. And we probably, I don't know if it's because ones and twos are next to each other, probably talk about the zoom in, zoom out also to say, hey, let's look at perspective Long-term, we can meet your goals. Short-term, we have to be able to ride the so-called roller coaster, which is hard. You know, different people in, in the circle of this Enneagram can ride the roller coaster differently. Some like it. So we'll get to parts of the Enneagram where like, oh, the roller coaster, they embrace it. It's not fear. It's actually adrenaline. And right. some people on the roller coaster are hanging on for – it's white knuckle. Yep. So – it, I think that is um, their fear of not meeting the expectations of taking care of their close associates, loved ones. It's amazing to me because I have a lot of twos in my practice and everything is seen through the lens of relationship, every single thing. And it's not that ones or I'm an eight or you're a three don't care about relationship. All human beings, well, you know, all, not, unless you're a sociopath, you care about the people in your life. But... Um, but twos reframe everything, at least at the, in the initial reaction as other, as the people in my life. And so, you know, we even talked about as we're building out our Enneagram Wealth 360 philosophy, we renamed originally, we, I forget what we called the two investor, but we reframed them to the legacy investor because, you know, with twos, it's not even about who's alive around me. It's about who comes after me. Right children's children. And so, you know, zooming out, seeing that, seeing that the well-being, the, the, the wellness of generationally, like we're okay as a, you know, as a collective, we're okay over the long haul. Right now we're struggling. Right now we're rebuilding. Um, so I think really for twos, zooming out and seeing the long game of the relationships, but maybe even zooming in and seeing, yes, you know, I'm so sorry you lost X, Y, Z, but look at what we have. And we still have our relationship. We still have each other. So really for twos, getting back to this relationship, I think is a grounding element in our lives. And um, to me, that's an anchor for for the twos. Anything else with the twos and weathering the storms? No, I think that, you know, the twos are, like you said, kind of forward looking for their legacies. And that's so important to understand because you just can't come at a two with complete analytics. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what you've taught me. My my approach always was, hey, here's let me explain logically why over a 20-year time period you're going to make money. And I lose and I didn't realize I was losing people because they didn't, you know, the, that's nice, but that wasn't the perspective that they wanted to understand or that they could process. It worked for a couple of Enneagram types, but not for that type. And, and so, you know, twos like everybody else want to get there, but the question is, you know, you've been on the battlefield, literally, um, as a as a general in the National Guard, um, you've seen firsthand people's reasoning go out the goes out the window when you know firefight starts, right? And you go to your default. You can't even can't have a meaningful conversation about the meaning of life while you're on the battlefield. Well, I, we're talking about obviously the enneagram, but I think the most important thing, you know. That, that you have taught me was what you started with in this conversation, which was that Viktor Frankl quote of reaction versus response. And that little bit of time in between is, is the takeaway from this podcast and this video. And the takeaway from my life is there is a chance to override your natural instinct, the so-called system one versus system two. However, the researchers now look at how a brain is organized. I think I said this before that Dr. Frankel, you know, understood this and figured this out long before MRIs, brain mapping, realized that we have an internal innate fear response and whether it's road rage, whether it's on the battlefield, whether it's, you know, interactions with family, you, you initially react to things and the ability to advance to response versus pure reaction. I think is the difference between a successful investor and unsuccessful investor the ability not to just react to things that could be irrational the more calm you are whether it's in the battlefield whether it's in business whether it's in life presumably you can make better decisions that's right it comes down to are you going to react or are you going to respond and the choice between stimulus and response and that's what we're talking about for anybody listening to give you more strategies more tools to stop reacting to choose your response enneagram three michael's favorite the uh michael's pretty hard on threes because he is a three <laughs> in fact everybody does that everybody gets the ick factor around their own type that's how you know you're kind of in your type like yeah you know there's a shadow side to threes it doesn't bother me so much because i'm not a three we'll get we'll get to the eights and i get a little queasy sometimes so michael tell us about the threes well threes are achievement oriented they um, are image oriented and they're sort of action oriented probably the most action oriented of, of the group and that has a lot of pros and cons they i you know i like for any initial reaction anything that happens to me i want to take an action immediately hmm. and that's not always the best approach so that's why this was so important to me the reaction versus response because now i'm trying to build that time frame in between when I'm thinking about it. Okay. I know I want to take action on everything, mm -hmm. no matter what it is. You, you could name anything and I immediately, like, let me, let me solve the problem. And that just isn't necessarily the best approach where sometimes you need to digest better and uh, deal with things a, a bit differently. Be, maybe it's, I don't want to say be more patient, but action isn't always the best course of action, if you will. It's true. I think that's why um, 
threes end up in trouble when they don't do this work, when they react and they step on the gas. You know, you, I don't have to tell you, winter's just around the corner for you there in New England. And there's going to be ice from about like October to uh, May, it seems like. In, oh, thanks. In, yeah, you're welcome. And when you're, when you're driving on the ice and you are skidding, you, the last thing you do is step on the brakes. You know, better to do nothing. And that's the that's the antithesis of how a three is wired. A three is wired to do something. Um, teacher of mine, Sylvia Borstein, who was a Buddhist, is a Buddhist. Um, she talks about, uh, she has a book that says, don't just do something, sit there. And that's the antithesis of the three's reaction when it hits the fan. So do nothing. Be lazy, Mick. Do less. Well, yeah. No, it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not wired that way. But now knowing you you know after i took the survey that i am a three and now dealing with other threes because i i know the threes threes actually are pretty good like if you have a down stock market right now all my all my clients or friends who or associates who may be threes what are they calling for not worrying about losing their money they're like hey how come we're not buying more when the market's getting killed yes. because shouldn't we be able to make money when the market's going down that's an interesting Right. I, I get those calls, those those texts. So that's a fascinating. They have a different perspective. They're yep. like, am I missing out on buying something low versus losing my money? Right. So completely different than the two would react. Because threes think in terms of success and failure. So the core fear of a three is failure. Well, back to your slide of the upward trajectory of the market, this isn't failure. This is a buying opportunity from the lens of a three. From the lens of a two, it might be, what about my grandchildren's right. uh, 529 college savings? From a one, it might be, but I feel out of control. So each one just goes through this and we can all get to this place of response. We're just learning out, learning our basic fear and how we might react. Threes and failure and success. Fours, the creative, the individualist, the romantic. This is the artist type. Um, the core fear for a four is, you know, this kind of worth. Um, lots of things will take them. I have a wife who's a four down into the kind of, you know, worthiness and am I worthy? Four is probably the least represented, at least in your profession, Michael. Was that is that a fair statement? I would say so. I probably have the least fours and is probably an area I understand the least too, um, of, of how to interact with fours, if you will. Uh, fours are, you know, kind of the genius creative people too. I mean, they can be amazingly uh, creative and and uh, do things that you'd never even even think. They tend to be laissez-faire, hands-off. With, with regard to, to finances, which I think if we've talked about this before, probably serves them pretty well if they have a professional that can help them. That's right. Because I think the one thing that in in financial world, the studies have shown, is not necessarily that a financial planner or professional can pick better investments than the next person. But what a financial advisor typically does is, is remove some of the fear pieces to say, hey, stay in the market, don't sell during really bad times, make sure your money's invested for the long haul. But people might not do that. Even even now, people like, shouldn't I have everything in cash? That strategy just is it's hard to hard to get great rates of return over time. 
Yeah, you know, I don't think there are many fours, certainly on the professional side. Of course, all fours invest their money or have money or grapple with money like the rest of us. My wife being a four, you know, it's interesting. You just kind of nailed it. All she wants is somebody who knows money. You, um, you're our financial planner. And she, that's enough. She just turns it over. She doesn't look at the markets. She doesn't, you know, she hears about the fear. Maybe she feels the fear of, you know, what's going on with the markets. But she basically said to me the other day, um, what does Mick say? What does Michael say? Sorry, I call you Mick. Um, what does Michael say? Is it okay? Are we okay? And that's enough. You said, yes, we're good. Here's why. And forward. And I like that about fours because what they're passionate about, they're passionate about, but they're not jacks of all trades. They're masters of their space and they turn the rest yeah. over to the expert. And there's, there's a lot of humility in that for the fours out there. So yes. Fives, lots of fives, lots of um, fives who have wealth because fives are the the thinking, the, the core thinking type. They are um, built for the information age. They're probably a disproportionate amount of Silicon Valley, at least on the tech side, probably not on the, you know, the interfacing side. You know, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffetts. Tell us a little bit about fives and fear. Yeah, I mean, the fives are very analytical, like you said, thinkers, reflectors. So they tend tend to be good investors, but their core fear, I think, is not having um, enough information, enough knowledge to to make decisions. And if something's fast paced and moving, it can make them very, very uncomfortable if, if something isn't rational either. So if a stock market is dropping or increasing and it's not rational, that's fearful to sometimes a five because they don't understand how that could possibly be. And in the short run, as we know, the stock market in a way is an emotional entity in the short run, right? Buys and sells in the short run. In the long run, it tends to be more rational and based on earnings. The real problem is I don't know the difference between the exact time difference between the short run and the long run, right? When that the emotional part of the market right now will give way to the rational part of the market. Yeah. And across the board in all things, fives just need information. They need to understand. They feel out of control when they don't know what's going on, when they don't understand what's going on. When I was involved in the cannabis industry and raising uh, money for one of the companies I was involved with, I don't think we had a single five investor because they didn't understand the mar the cannabis space that was emerging is you know newly out of nowhere legalized cannabis um people still don't understand it and i, th I would imagine you know that's an industry where you're going to find very few fives because it, it, you got to be able to wrap your head around and understand how things fit together and so for fives it's about getting information getting knowledge and if you have a five in your life by the way you don't want to surprise fives. They they're the, they um, are the least likely to want a surprise birthday party because <laughs> it's just like they didn't have time to think it through, process it, you're, plan you're for it. So, you know, as Michael is working with his fives, as I have fives in my life, if you five is in yours or if you are five, as much information as possible and as long a lead time as possible. All right, Enneagram Six. Enneagram Six, the um, loyalist, sometimes called the loyal skeptic, sometimes called the devil advocate. Sixes probably are having the hardest time um, when you get into the storms. Long haul, they're great. Storms of life, they're not always so wired for this, maybe quite like a three. Tell us about the six. 
yeah, you know, again, with the the fours and the sixes are the, are the areas that I'm trying to learn the most about. I, I sort of know a six maybe when I see it, if you will, but it's hard because, again, they're great people. They're great team players. They are, are great in groups. Uh, but their fear tends to be magnified versus other people in in times of stress, I think, yeah. financial and, and physical. And they tend to be a bit more skeptical than some other Enneagram numbers. So that's that's an area that I've learned that I know if I have someone who I think might, might be a six or have six traits, that I want to work with a little more deeply during turbulent times to be more reassuring, whether it's explain things or just talk. Sometimes they just want to be, I think you've taught me they just want to be heard sometimes, um, you know, to some degree, right. And, and talk to and, and so forth. So sixes, uh, it's interesting because you're pointing out the reactive types, fours, sixes, and eights, but we'll get to eights. Eights, eights are different, but fours and sixes primarily are the, are the two of the most reactive types. And so if you add now, um, the storms of life, whatever those might be, right? That's just all about reaction. And they're <clears throat> they're not really wired for, well, it's not true that they're not wired for it. Sixes are worst case scenario preppers, planners. They're the ones probably who had all the toilet paper during the, uh, the COVID <laughs> pandemic, right? They're the ones who have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So in some ways they're prepared for it, but in other ways, it's almost like this, told you so kind of thing. And it's hard to get them out of their fear and back onto the ground. Now, once they do, they're good, but you're describing how they get there. They land back on their feet by questioning, right? By probing, mm. by, by interrogating. And it almost feels like when a six is in fear, like you're being interrogated. And as long as you don't take it personally and you understand this is how they get their sea legs back that they're trying to ground down by probing and questioning because that they're testing. They're testing you, you know, Michael, as their financial planner, do you got this? And once you've satisfactorily, is that a word? Answered their um, questions, you get them back to their stability. That's the experience of a six. I think you have a, probably a lot of sixes, I would imagine. I think anecdotally, there are a lot of sixes just in general in the population. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think that's right. I do have have a lot, and that's the area I'm trying to learn best to to help. They're the and hardest I to understand. They're the hardest to understand. They're the hardest to type when I'm working with somebody on typing. If if we don't know what they are, I would say more often than not they're a six because there's this ambivalence. This mm. even on a questionnaire, you know, it's a pretty extensive questionnaires. You know. And there's just this ambivalence that like, what if, and if I answer this way and if I don't, so sometimes um, I know there are six by how hard it is to type them. So yes, Enneagram six, right? Get your sea legs, get your grounding, do you go through your process. And if you want somebody to listen to you, Michael is um, really, I think now very aware of what sixes need and they need to process that fear to get to the mm. strength. All right. Three more. Enneagram seven. Now, Enneagram seven, probably everybody's favorite. Life of the party, uplifting, optimistic. They're called the enthusiasts. Sometimes they're called the optimists. 
Um, you know when you're with a seven, just kind of like you know when you're with a two. Sevens are just upbeat, energetic people. Tell us a little bit about what you know about the sevens, Michael. No, I think the, the sevens are adventurous. They look look to maximize probably everything in life to the extent that they can. And they're probably the least inhibited maybe in, in so many ways. So those are the guys and girls and, 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 um, who dogs and dogs and dogs. Yeah, my dog is, I think my dog just seven. my golden retriever. Apollo is probably a seven, right? Just always happy. Always wants to, you know, be with people. Um, they're great except, Hey, you know, I just heard about this weird stock that's going to, you know, make 10 times our money next week type of thing. They're always looking, they're optimistic and, and sometimes just have to be helped from probably being too optimistic or from taking too many adventurous moves, if you will, probably most, most likely to invest, invest in something crazy. Yes. Um, you, you nailed it. Sevens, you know, and it looks always like fun and games, right? I want to be a seven, but there's a shadow side to everything. And that optimism or that positivity can become, as I call toxic positivity, right? If you're unwilling to look at the holes, unwilling to look at the, the downside. And so that's one way sevens will get themselves into trouble is that toxic positivity and not you know, I've worked with a bunch of um, sevens in the startup space. And because I would say if Silicon Valley is the COO or the CTO is um, a five, the CEO or the founder is probably a seven statistically. And so start, um, sevens can be great startup founders, but they're not always great at scaling up. Because to scale up a business, you got to really deal with the nitty gritty and you got to look at all the data, not just the positive feedback. And so sevens can get themselves into trouble in that space. And the other thing is they don't like constraints. It's a core fear for a seven. And it's not just like constraints, it's limitations. It's the inability to go out and experience it all. And so when you lose your resources, whether it be your home in Florida, God forbid, or your money in, you know, in your, your portfolio, there's this feeling of fear that starts kicking in. So it's a very different type of fear, I think, than the rest of the Enneagram types. Sure. Enneagram sevens. Yep. Anything else, Michael? No, I think, like you said, those are the, they're always not looking at um, the downside or the potential losses. Everything, every situation can be turned into optimism, which, which is great. Like you said, that's why they're great entrepreneurs and founders, but you do have to look at downside of, of things. A lot of most things do have a downside. So you have to weigh that logically. So if you are an Enneagram seven and you want to be brought down, call Michael or I, we'll bring you down. to the We'll, we'll be the Debbie Downers. <laughs> help help um, restrain it. We'll help but here you go. Go right on to the eight. You'll take care of the sevens because that's your nature, right? Yeah. Eight. So I, I do. I, um, I kind of poke holes for the seven. So let's move on to the eight. The Enneagram eight is the challenger and, jumping back and forth between slides here. The challenger, the, um, I don't know, there's different words, the maverick, the boss, uh, but whatever it is, it's a very, it's probably the most intense energy of the Enneagram. Um, probably the most um, built for the storms. And in some ways it's interesting. 
as an eight, I do better with storms than I do with the mundane, with the ordinary. I struggle sometimes and I'll make a mess when I'm in the ordinary, when things are just coasting, almost if I'm not, con- if I'm not aware to feel some excitement, right? Especially when I was like, you know, in the teens and twenties, I would be known to stir it up to feel something. Well, when the storms of life come and as you get older, you don't have to stir it up because they stir it up for you. So I'm pretty, I'm, I'm well built. And I think most eights are well built for the storms. It's the quiet that we struggle with more, but tell us about your experience of eights and the storms of the markets or anything else. I think I have a lot of experience with eights because I think a lot of people in the military are eights, the people who want to be in charge, who are leaders, who like control of things and not in a good way, they want to provide direction. So when you want to provide direction and you have thoughts on how things should go and something goes against that, that is discontent for an eight. And the eights that I talk to tend to be very logical people, but they they need to uh, have interaction to understand quickly because they need, they're, they're probably, and you're like this, right? They're the fastest moving of the group, it seems. Three and eights. Yeah. Eights just, but I think in a sense of just wanting to get things done. So they need, um, you know, when they either face fear or disruption, they, they, they need that reaction or the uh, activity from their partners or their stakeholders quickly to, to understand what's going on. As soon as they understand, they're amazingly calm and easy. It's when they don't understand, they get frustrated quickly. That's right. And so not so different than the threes, right? To slow it down. It's always important for threes and eights and sometimes sevens to slow it down for eights to get back into your body. Like eights like just fly out of their body. It's almost like, you know, it's like this out of body experience. They move so fast. And so to get back into your body, to take some deep breaths, ready, aim, fire, not ready, fire, 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 fire. Oops, I forgot to aim. So get back into that kind of control because that's what really stirs up an eight in, in the storms is they feel out of control. So they're going into overdrive to take control, but like the threes, that doesn't always work so well. All right, we're going to wrap it up with Enneagram nine, everybody's favorite. You know, sevens are fun, but nines are easy. Nines are the peacemaker. They are the most peaceful type on the Enneagram uh, I'd say my most of my clients are nines. Many of them are nines. Uh, my sister, my daughter. You know when you're with a nine because your heart rate decreases. When you're with an eight, your heart rate increases. But when you're with a nine, it decreases and you can breathe and you can rest easier. Now, they're probably the least well-built for the storms of life. You see this oftentimes in the Enneagram, yin-yang next to each other. Eights built for it. Nines, not so much. They don't like conflict. Let's wrap it up. Tell us a little bit about the nines. Yeah, I, I find the nines the hardest. And you taught me my three is connected to nine. Nine is my opposite in a, in the Enneagram sense. I, I didn't know that. I kind of felt that over time when I'm interacting sometimes with nines. I want to you know, take action or do something or discuss it. And they'll agree with me no matter what I have to say. And he, a three can get frustrated with a nine wants to, to be agreeable. So that I think the hard nine, like you said, are the calm people. Um, but sometimes you don't know how they're really feeling as a result and how to help them sometimes because they're so agreeable. Right. It's almost easier to be disagreeable 
and help someone because at least you know a nine um like you said they're a pleasure to be around for sure and in some amazing leaders and people who are nines uh, from an investing in, in wealth perspective that's probably one of the more challenging mm-hmm. enneagrams to really dig deep to see what and how how to best impact um from what i remember on the um on your enneagram profile nine is like almost non-existent right so your three is your top number your nine is your bottom i i was stunned to when you did it that three was my highest and nine was clearly my lowest and six and was in the middle somewhere. on the enneagram it shows that a contradiction and and then six i think i was in the middle so i was like wow this thing kind of does have an amazing congruence to it yeah it's it's sort of mathematics you really can't be a three and a nine simultaneously at a reactive level now you can choose to respond and for the nines listening conflict is your pathway back to your truth you know you have to go through it as a nine in order to grow through it and if you spend your life doing what I call avoidance, a void dance, a dance around the void, you just keep dancing around it and around it. Well, the storms present to you nines, all of us, an opportunity for growth, not the ones you want, the one you got. Don't ask for these things. But once you have them on your plate, either you can spend your life avoiding conflict, which is ultimately avoiding growth, or you can, you know, as Dr. Frankel says, make your stand, the defiant power of the human spirit, find that place within you, you have what you need to face the conflict and to move through it. And those are really the core fears and some strategies for anybody as you're going through life. The, the storms descend. They have descended. If they haven't descended, they will descend. But don't worry to our sevens out there. The sun will rise tomorrow. How do we get there? By doing the work, by taking back our power, learning how to stop reacting and start responding. Anything, any last words for us, Michael? No, this was an amazing session. Thank you for, you know, bringing up Dr. Frankel and, and going through these nine core fears and how it relates to wealth and life. Thank you. Thanks for being my partner on this side of Wealth360. And anybody who wants to learn more about Michael, jump over to finer.com. You can jump over to the Defiant Spirit org and you can definitely tune in next time because we're going to continue this show thank you so much and um defy your number and live your spirit and all at all times in life especially during the storms of life thank you thank you for listening to the defiant spirit podcast with me your host dr baruch halevi the defiant spirit is an offering of soul center to center for spirituality meaning and healing and if you'd like to learn more about the defiant spirit or soul center get more inspirational content access to a variety of online programs or see how we might work together to discover deeper meaning in your life greater purpose for your life or live the defiant spirit power within your life visit defiantspirit.org until then keep living your defiant spirit